This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, I'm with Josh Bosset and L. Grover Fricks to muse on the mysteries of rest and holiness and to conclude this anthology on the tabernacle. Muse on the mysteries? That's oh, yes. nearly Greco-Roman, Mr. Bosset. <laughs> oh, no. Don't say that. <laughs> oh, wow. You ruined it. Well, man, yeah. This is setting the tone for the episode. Okay. I'm so sorry. Hellenistic from the jump. (laughs) I've got two goals. One is to have a great time in the second and maybe learn something. But the second is to, you know, be responsible with our recording time here. And so Mm. I've got to get my shots out early and then (laughs) duck down into the edges. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, uh, this is going to be hopefully a slightly different kind of episode since, you know, we are talking about Shabbat and rest and um, uh, some some kind of paradoxical ideas within that. So um, it should be a little bit different, but uh, we'll see. Maybe God has other plans. Um, I can't say, but what I can say is that we have some reading to do. Brent, you want to help us out? Let us begin in Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. There's a little bit to unpack here. Um, This is a very strange day in a couple of ways. Um, It's, first of all, kind of hard to dissect it the way we have our previous days of creation, because God really isn't creating anything per se. Um, but in terms of like big, broad, like uh, thematic or, or narrative uh, elements in this tight little story, um, really the one thing that seems to pop up uh, multiple times is that this idea of completion. Um, so we start with this idea of uh, a creation that has already been completed Uh, And then it's reintroduced paradoxically as something that God completed on the day. Um, And uh, that is a little bit of a a puzzle. But before we go too far into that, there's a really interesting phrase at the beginning that I want to get, I want to get L to speak on it, which is that um, uh, what Brent just read, there was a a not entirely accurate translation of the very first verse. uh, When it says... (laughs) <laughs> what's that shade thrum taking yes. shots at the niv taking shots I mean, at josh it's a strong I, start I, I saw the shade on your face <laughs> in the video. you were very displeased <laughs> and i i know why it's because when uh it says that uh, uh the heavens uh and the earth were finished being created it doesn't say in all their vast array it says and all their armies it does and and we've talked about this very word on uh on your uh podcast series and um talked about how it's very specifically a a militaristic term um so what is that doing not just in creation where we haven't really you know talked about armies at all but also on a day that's about rest like Isn't armies kind of killing the vibe? What's going on here? Well, on the day of rest, God has to take his armies out of his sleeves. Sorry. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to my husband. Um, Okay. So, yeah. So, it is armies. That is the, the end of the discussion as far as I am concerned in the Hebrew 
you know, like vast array. How poetic. Um, but it's definitely militaristic, like you just said. And so depending on how uh, folks want to run with that, of course, that is up to the independent wrestling of the listener. Um, however, the thing is, uh, I think I always imagined before I knew Hebrew that he was talking about the stars, but there's a very clear, straightforward word for star. Uh, and that's not the one used here. And it was used just the chapter beforehand. So it'd be hard to say, well, you know, that was a newer word or introduced through Babylon or something. Nope, we just used it a couple verses ago. So if it was talking about the stars, why, why doesn't it say stars? Um, and so if uh, depending on the predilection of the listener and their particular viewpoints, one thing that you can do with this verse is talk about how it might refer to the creation of other spiritual beings in God's, um, you know, world that we see show up later in the story. And, you know, there's questions about the origin story of, of Satan and, and uh, <laughs> conversations about Isaiah and all of that stuff. Um, so if the question could be framed, well, where, where in Genesis is that? Why does it just skip over that? Um, maybe it doesn't, maybe it says it right here and we're just, uh, we've just, uh, jumped on over it, but, uh, but yes, all their armies. And if we don't say that it's that, then what would it be? <laughs> I've, I've got a thought on that. Um, Great. we'll, we'll see if it fits, but, um, I, uh, to your point about, uh, you know, it referencing the actual, like other spiritual, uh, dimensions and, and beings that are kind of later introduced in the story more explicitly, um, I would uh, encourage anyone interested in that to maybe uh, do some reading on uh, the the like kind of Jewish mystical idea of uh, Tzimtzum, which kind of talks about uh, God's relationship to creation and how it's even possible. But also within that concept, there's this idea of multiple um, worlds. Uh, you can look into um, – the, the four worlds within Judaism and they'll go a little bit more into that, which and it, it is rooted in the text in some of the uh, verses uh, earlier in Genesis one. Um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting. And um, it, uh, it, yeah, it, it's got some cool stuff. Make sure though, you are reading from like Jewish sources when you read that. Um, but anyway, uh, that stuff's all super interesting, but I have another thought about what this armies thing could be referencing Wonderful. because to me, here's the, uh, we, we kind of need to dig into this paradox part a little bit, which is if creation was already completed, how was it also completed on the seventh day? It had been completed, uh, like the very first word of chapter two is, you know, completed were, the heavens and the earth like it's it's a in the tense of completed action um and it's only in the next verse where it talks about it being completed on the seventh day which it says pretty uh explicitly that it was also completed on the seventh day and to me this introduces the idea of like that that rest the rest that god does here is itself part of the completion of creation which I think okay. is significant on its own. Mm -hmm. But like, if we think about this from our own perspective, what's the problem here? 
why is it hard for us to say, oh, yeah, rest completes the work that was done before? Um, I think partially in our, you know, post-industrial crazy world that we live in um, that, you know, like enjoying something you've made like an artisan would isn't part of what we, you know, a lot That's of our true. workspaces. Some of us might be potters out there, but <laughs> plenty of us are doing, you know, data entry. And at the end of the day, we're not like, mm, that's a nice spreadsheet. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Hey, speak we definitely, for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, yeah, that that is true. Usually our, you know, even if it's work we enjoy doing, we don't necessarily get to enjoy the fruit of that labor. That labor is usually in service of someone else's uh, vines. Yes, exactly. So th- there, that's true. But I, I think um, even beyond that, like let's say you're working on your own house or whatever. Um, I am in a relatively new house to me. So we've got a lot of projects mm-hmm. to do. And uh, even if I finish one, there's still a lot left undone. And to rest in the middle of that and say, ah, yes, you know, it's all it's all complete. Mm-hmm. I can say that. But when I walk around my house, I see like, oh, yeah, I haven't finished painting that. I, you know, ha- the furniture hasn't been moved back here. It looks kind of right. janky. I can see that it's not complete, but I'm told like I have to engage with it and and know that my rest completes it somehow. And when I link that to this idea of creation, all these things God's made from, you know, the bugs and the little creepy crawly things to the birds and the fish and the whales and the sky and all the water rushing around and all the plants and now human beings and land animals. You like... sound so enthusiastic about creation. <laughs> whales. Oh yeah, bugs. just the, you know, the whales and all the other stuff. <laughs> but like when you think about all these things and, and how we look at nature, like there is a lot of um, uh, striving, things that kind of push against each other. And hmm. we might theologically say, ah, uh, uh, the fall hasn't happened yet. But I wonder if, you know, w- with this militaristic a term for armies, you know, that includes both mm. like at ordering, right? Everything is very orderly. It's lined up. Right. Like an army would be. But also there's a sense of like it's creation has this stuff that's like fighting with itself. There's tension mm. built into it, tension that we've even talked about. Um, and I wonder if God is communicating like this, this, um, you know, ecosystem that I've built that is like just uh, in this constant tension for survival and things are kind of in a state of war against each other. That is complete. Like I can rest with that. And I, especially when I think about how much we wrestle with the problem of evil and, and, you know, violence and things happening. Um, Like this is maybe definitely not an answer to that question, but maybe speaks to it a little bit. You heard it here first, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Your hurt doesn't matter because uh, God needed a rest. No, 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 no. Not at all. But rather that like even though things aren't complete, we still have to rest anyway. Even though we don't live in heaven, even though it's not all perfect, like God's ability to rest is part of what allows us to just rest and live in a complete whole creation ourselves by resting, even though it's not. And that what allows it to be complete, even though it's incomplete, is rest. 
Mm-hmm. That to me is like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the paradox kind of creates this, this almost magical situation where it's like the rest just magically makes it complete. No, I like that. If you think about like birth analogies, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're just like, ta-da, I finished the baby. Goodbye. That's not, <laughs> that's not the completion of the process, right? The beautiful yes. completion of the uh-huh. process is, uh, resting and looking into the eyes of this little human who's come into the world. That's a, that's a wonderful analogy. I love that. Oh, well, wonderful. One little tiny pushback and then I'm going to scoot, you know, stop. But verse two says, "Vayachal Elohim beYom Hashvi," and then it has this word "malachto," and "malach" is our word word (laughs) for angel. Um, Okay, okay, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop! You're getting ahead of me. I'm gonna ask you that question later. I have it in my notes. I don't (laughs) nothing. I know nothing. My inner linear tells me nothing. L just brought up a very important word, which. Uh, is uh, the word that's translated as work here. And it's there's a lot of words for work. There's a very common one in Torah, and this is not it. This is, you know, relatively rarer. And that is the word malach or melachot, um, as we'll see it later when we talk more about Shabbat and the Mishkan. Um, but yes, hang on to that word in your brains. We are going to talk about that a lot. <laughs> Okay. Daisy. So I, I have a couple, I have a couple questions. Uh, well, I don't know. Are we moving on to Exodus? Cause I have uh, no, no, questions. no, we're not moving on. We have another thing to talk about here. Another curiosity with uh, day seven, but yeah, Brent, shoot. I mean, I have several things to say. First of all, I don't know if the whale example is necessarily the best analogy. Uh, so I have an Apple TV mm-hmm. and there's a set of screensavers on there that includes a clip of a humpback whale. And I feel like maybe I'm, maybe it's misrepresented. Maybe it's like this unusual thing. I believe it might be in slow motion. I'm not even sure because the whale is so huge, but this whale is just like enjoying the water. Like it's not Mm -hmm. eating. There are no other whales around. It just seems to be like almost like joy and delight are built into creation. Yeah, like there's, yeah. there's no striving at all. For. There's no striving. Well, sure, but sure. I I do think creation in general there is quite a bit. So I don't know. And that's where I would say that what this introduces is that rest is part of creation's wholeness. And just because we don't always engage in rest does not mean that creation doesn't uh, in many areas. And to that note. I would say the way that the whale idea does intersect with the warfare idea is, would probably come up if you ask Plankton what they felt about the whole setup. Well, Just because sure. they're a very successful army that doesn't have to worry about anything doesn't mean that they have their own struggles. But the Plankton <laughs> only got eaten post-flood. Right. Oh, That's well. before it says he's stalking to creation. It says, I give to you every green, green, glistening thing. And then it's only post flood when presumably there weren't a lot of green, glistening things because everything was a giant mud pit. Um, yeah, this is true. Uh, this is plus, true. if you listen to the Midrash, um, you know, 40 days of uh, fertilizer from the from the ark on top of it. <laughs> That there were there were no green glistening plants, and so of course they had to start eating one another. But now I'm on my vegetarian soapbox. Interesting. Okay. Well, well so man. on the army. Although thing. it doesn't. It, <laughs> Good try, oh, man. oh man. Oh man. 
Uh, on the army thing, none of the English translations use the word army. About half of them do say host. Host yes. just means army. Yeah, sure. Well, next time you go to a restaurant and they're like, hi, I'm your hostess. You can be like <laughs> an army. <laughs> uh, okay. So then one other question I have. So it says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So what kind of making is this? Because in my mind, making and creating is the same kind of thing. But I assume this is a different underlying word. Which verse? Uh, Verse three. So the thing there, Brent, is that there's not a separate word for making and holy. The word to make holy is just one word. Uh, It's Ah. uh, uh, vayakadesh. And I know I definitely pronounced that wrong. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's it's God like actively uh, in my uh, Jewish translation here it says He sanctified it. So it's it's just one word, one idea, and holy it's dead. the word holiness. Yeah, He mm-hmm. holied it. <laughs> okay, yeah, I have heard that before actually, so that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, and uh, Brent, this is a perfect transition because this is the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which was that you know this is a very weird blessing. Right? Like we've had a couple blessings before in this creation story. How is this absolutely and totally different? Uh, there is no future sketched out. Previously with our fishy blessing, we had, these are the pathways that you will take fishies. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, the only thing that we might think of as a commandment is just that you're holy. Yes. And, and. L, you you got it. I, I would specify it to say that God doesn't say anything. Mm. With the other blessings, God blessed them and said, right. yada, yada, yada. Um, same for all the other blessings. This one, it just says God blessed it. No speech. And in fact, throughout this whole day, there is no direct speech from God. In fact, we can see that at the very beginning because all the other days of creation began with, and God said, but here... We don't hear any speech. There is total silence, which I think is something we should emulate in our spiritual disciplines. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. It's a very powerful spiritual discipline. Big Quaker energy. Just go to church and sit there silently. (laughs) Oh, man. I, I, the the couple times I've been blessed to worship with the Quakers, it has been an absolute treat. Excellent. So uh, we have this, this weird silence. Unless. Unless the holiness is the blessing, just saying. Unless the holiness is the blessing. Um, But we should also note, this is the first time we've heard the word holiness at all in the text, which is, you know, as we all know, significant just on first mention grounds. But um, the holiness, the sanctification happening here is given an explanation. Why is it holy? Because on it, God rested from all his malachto is his work. Uh, so the holiness of Shabbat comes from the rest, which mm. again, I think this is very interesting. Like there is, there is, um, and even though I think on a Peshat level, yes, we can just say the blessing is the holiness. And I don't mm. even think that's, that's wrong if you dig deeper, but I think it's important that God didn't say anything because there's a blessing there that is something that we can't quite know. We can't mm-hmm. explicitly grab onto and say, this is the blessing of Shabbat. God just tells us there's a blessing there. There's a little bit of a, a dare to find out what it is, a, a bit of a challenge. Um, 
And, you know, we have the holiness part explained. It's, it's holy because of rest, which as we'll see later in Exodus uh, 31 is going to be a big deal. But, um, yeah, like this is, it, it's holy because of rest. That's a, a huge thing for me. It's not holy just because God made it holy. God made it holy because of the rest. So, you know, big surprise here on Bema, we're telling you that rest is important. But I think it's interesting to think of rest as something that invites sanctity mm-hmm. into a moment, a space, a time. Right. Because so often we think of our holiness as tied to the things that we do rather mm-hmm. than the things that we don't do, which I mean, the book of James would have some things to argue with this, but room <laughs> oh, for both. Sure. sure. Yes. Um, so in, in the case of the other days of creation, we talk about evening and then morning and we sleep in the evening. We start our day with rest, but here we're ending the week in rest. So is there something to that difference? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think that, um, I'm not sure if the pattern super holds there, although there's a lot of things about the end of the week being being this weird thing that I think invites us to think about what the next week means in this context. Do we just start over at day one or is there something else that happens? Um, Which I'm I'm being all mysterious for no reason. I I think that... uh, you know, as Jesus followers with the, uh, the, the resurrection being on the first day of the week, that, that has a lot of implications that when we look back at Torah, we can see some of those hints already there. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I can think of a super strong connection, uh, specifically with that rhythm, but. Well, and I, I even wonder, like, is it, is it even possible to think of the week in the same way? Because we're working on a five days of work and two day weekend kind of thing. Like the, I think most Christians consider Sunday to be their Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. Um, but in this, like the Sabbath being Saturday in the Jewish mind, that would make day one, the Sunday. And so it's like, it's just totally different in our mind. Like the crowning achievement of creation is day six which would be Friday. And it's like, do we really ever do our best work on a Friday? (laughs) Like, it's just our mindset of work and rest Mm. is just totally uh, disconnected from what this structure is. So I, I, yeah, it's difficult to wrap our minds around, I think. And also we have to remember when we're talking about work here, we're talking about a very specific kind of work that we will get into in Exodus 31. It'll shed a lot of light on that. Well, don't let me stop you from getting there, Josh. <laughs> yeah, but also uh, I, I think um, it's important to remember, too, that the, it doesn't say – it isn't a, a commandment that you work for six days. It just says, hey, you have six days to get stuff done. Here's the day where you don't do any work. It doesn't say you have to work the other six days. So I, I don't think we necessarily are unable to appreciate it the way they would back then, because I doubt their uh, work week looked the same as ours in a number of ways. Um, but um, man, yeah, that uh, uh, you you bumped into something else important there, which is that we don't even uh, we don't even see the uh, the evening and morning refrain here like this day is totally uh set apart um 
There's one other um, – well, well, one thing I want to touch on first is the very end of this, which is that um, it, it says, uh, uh, you know, God sanctified the day because he uh, rested from all his malachto, uh, his work. And that final phrase, bara Elohim nasot, that God had created to make. Um, it usually translates it, like yours did, Brent, as um, – the the creation that God had made, but that's not that's not that last word. That last word asot means to make God barad that that you know very um ex nihilo in our Western conception. This uh, you know chiseling like definitive moment where something pops into existence. God brought all those things into existence to. Asa, to make them, to shape them, to you squish it around and into shape. God created all this so that God could continually engage in creation, which again goes into this complete but incomplete idea of creation. And the fact of the matter is God didn't, God didn't bring it in, or pardon me, God didn't create it in order to make it perfect and complete it. God created it to continually work with it. And I think that's a really important distinction and, again, kind of goes back and underpins why we can say that rest completes our work, rest completes creation, because um, the point isn't to bring perfection or to complete it. That's not how God sees it. Right. That's really good. So we need to see it as like this is a continual process. I think that can be really helpful for deconstruction folks um, because uh, if we believe that we're like achieving um, perfection, Mm -hmm. even if it's perfection of ideas and we've set everything in stone and then we learn something new and maybe one of those things feels like it's crumbled. Oh, no. And we have the Mm -hmm. static idea of what we're supposed to be up to in the world. Then that can be even more destabilizing. But seeing that it was always God's intention to keep dynamically shaping us and um, uh, that involves change. Right. And so it's okay. And we can still rest in the middle of that. Ooh, L, the the spirit is here today because you. I, that is literally somewhere I am taking this. We are going to be having a word for deconstructing folks. Uh, it'll be a little clearer, but yes, absolutely. Wonderful. We have this when we go through deconstruction and then try and start reconstructing and then have to keep deconstructing as we go and reconstructing. It can feel a little bit like, you know, building a sand castle that keeps getting knocked down. Um, but yeah, I think God invites us to see um, our our faith, our theology, our relationship with God as something that we are also uh, trying to continue to to just work on and enjoy working on it, and and therefore you can enjoy it because you're right. not trying to make it perfect, and therefore you can rest, which right. makes it holy. Which on Amen. Preach. So the other thing, what's the other big thing missing in this day? It's not called good. It's not called good. What the heck? Sabbath is not called good? Oh, my goodness. Uh, No pun intended. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) So if we remember back to all the other times God said creation was good, what was it connected with? God always did something right before saying it was good. I haven't heard the rest of your episodes, so I'm tapping out of this quiz. Oh, okay. It's just in the refrain. It's on you, Brent. Uh, it, it's 
right after he made something, right? It's after he made something, but the phrase is, and God blanked that it was good. Oh, he saw Saw. that it was good. He saw that it was good. Mm. So to me, that makes the question not was Shabbat not good, but what was it that God didn't see? He's sleeping like Baal with Eliyahu with Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his eyes are closed. He's resting. That's a, man. That's actually not a bad. That's not a bad one. Like God just snoozes off, and so we don't get the ending refrain because God's just napping. I re- oh man, I really I think, like that reading. <laughs> I think the Tehillim, the Psalms are pretty strongly declaring god never sleeps but sure well sure we can argue with david about it later yeah i don't want to pick a fight with david he he seems too intense he's been through uh, a lot yeah <laughs> yeah big enneagram four energy there's a lot there <laughs> so what i want to propose is uh this is a jewish idea whole whole cloth i'm i'm ripping it off so we talked before about, you know, we have this ordering of the first three days and the second three days and each of them kind of correspond. We have this idea of, you know, light and then uh, earth or sorry, light and then water and then earth. And they all have partners, which is what the rabbis note. But does day seven have a partner? Who is their partner? Where is it? Hmm. Um. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think that is the key to answering the question. So what many did God not see? Cliffhangers. I'm still waiting to talk about Malach though. <laughs> I know, I know. <clears throat> you you were just so good at being several steps ahead of me. <laughs> Our, my bad. But there's I'll close something my about eyes. you know like God. Shabbat Shabbat needs a partner. Um Shabbat needs a partner. And we are gonna learn about that. Um one last thing I want to say is that we, um, I, I gave a very tantalizing note uh, back in episode two about a uh, a little uh, uh, comment made by uh, one of my favorite rabbis, the Ramban, and he talked about how um, day two is super mysterious, and if you know what's going on, don't tell anyone, and if you don't know what's going on, don't ask. Um which to me says, hey, in this context, I'm not going to tell you what it is. And you don't have to ask because I'm just dropping a hint here and you can go find it yourself. But I oh think that there is a connection between the two days that are not called Tov at all. And I think part of it is hidden in this idea of uh, that's introduced here in day seven of Kadosh, of holiness. Because... Um, Gang, if, if we were going to give a very simple definition of holiness, like five words or less sort of a thing, how would we define holiness? Identity set apart. Set apart, which kind of has the same idea as being separated. Mm. And we have three whole days of creation that uh, discuss very different kinds of separation. All three days, the separations are are. Uh, in nuanced and subtle ways, very, very different from each other. And I wonder if there is a connection between that and the fact that one of those days is like day seven, not called Tove. Hmm. Anyway, I'm going to drop that. And, uh, man, I am parched. I need some, some living water. Brent, will you take (laughs) us to Shemot? (laughs) I need something to drink. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, yes, gladly. Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to Moshe, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. How far am I going? Crafts. Crafts. He's just doing some crocheting. <laughs> Sorry. Through verse 11. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiav, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. I'm just not going to look at L because I'm sure this is not My good. My face is full of <laughs> grace and kindness. That's true. That's I'm true. not That's, the police. It's, it's fine. <laughs> I just... It's an internal shame, I guess. Uh, you're you're okay. actually not that far off. You're, well, you're doing pretty you're good. You know, I'm trying. Um, appointed that guy to help him. Also, I have given, <laughs> I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant Law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them just as I commanded you. Okay. So, first of all, we... uh well, first of all, there's some issues. First of all, we could have saved a lot of time with the other passages of Exodus if we just read this little summary. That's true. And and in fact, I was close to cutting out the the relisting of all the things they make, except there is one little thing in there that is thrown in that was not discussed before now. Hmm. There's a little stowaway here. And we gotta talk about it. But first, let's start up at the top. I have called Betzalel, and your translation didn't include this, but God specifically says, I've called Betzalel by name, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, blue letter isn't perfect, but it's the best tool I have at present. And I could not find another uh, uh, similar occurrence in Torah that had that explicit of like personal calling, calling by name. That is very unique man that's the net footnote has has it and i don't understand why you wouldn't just put that in the translation yeah uh, they think that it's fine and that <laughs> they know what that's you know you don't need to be exact in your translation just yeah. anyway sorry too much salt my my philosophy is you know if you if you want to understand what translators were thinking good luck <laughs> i don't <laughs> or go over to the text in us and listen to the worst possible construction when i get into it <laughs> no that's don't not do that true. that's not true <laughs> okay uh, a lot of translations do have it it comes up i know i know it comes up in the prophets like uh, yes. isaiah 49 it's uh, i called you by name in your mother's womb i think I always get my Isaiah chapters mixed up. There's other there's other uses of that phrase in Tanakh for sure, but it like I I was expecting to find something. Um, the rabbis do uh, Ramban again. Uh, he made some connection between this and God calling Israel out of Egypt, but I, I don't know 
you know, like rabbis do, they don't always uh, tell you what they're pulling from. So I don't know. There certainly, I, I couldn't find a passage with that exact phrase anywhere. But this is kind of a it's kind of a big deal. God called this person by name. And when we, uh, if anyone out there's brain has retained some of the Hebrew we talked about, specifically last episode, uh, this should make a lot of sense to us. Because um, what do you think Betzalel means? Am I allowed this... to join in Oh, here? <laughs> please. Yes. <laughs> Yes, go off. I, there's nothing to go off. It's just the answer. Some some like <laughs> inner like child answering catechism in Sunday school. It's like, I know, I know, pick me. Um, but ba is in and tal is shadow, like we talked about two episodes ago, I think. Yes, and then the el, image. right, in the shadow of God, the son of Uri, light light my light specifically in the Mm -hmm. which is fascinating what uh that reminds me in craftsmanship um chiaroscuro is the idea that there is light in Uh, the darkness and it's something you try to bring out in the mm -hmm. thing that you're making and so he is a descendant of my light Mm -hmm. in the midst of a shadow yes i'm familiar with that particular shading technique thanks to homestar runner and strong bad emails <laughs> wow <laughs> taking it back oh i gotta link that gotta link wow that. oh dang yes please do um man i wonder i wonder if that holds up today oh oh it doesn't there's <laughs> uh team girl squad have you listened to those recently oh, no this I, is, I remember this is specifically the trogdor email so okay well uh, should be all right Sorry, Yehoshua, you're doing great. We are dragging you like shades into Sheol. So continue. All right. Um, So not only is this guy named Shadow of, or in the Shadow of God, very importantly, or we could read it in the image of God. Sure. Um, In in the same sense that uh, the word cell was, was used to talk about the image of God previously if we're reading it with a creation lens we could say ah this reminds me of day six right we were made in Bethlehem, mm-hmm. uh in the image of god uh but yes this is definitely uh the the peshat meaning of this is just in the shadow of god which as we talked about then also indicates like protection and provision um and uh, we can even kind of see that in this idea of God uh, supernaturally uh, somehow uh, uh, giving him all these skills and abilities to work with crafts, even though presumably probably most of the or, or a good chunk of the people uh, that fled Egypt uh, didn't really have a lot of time to spend working with gold and fine uh, cloth. At least I assume so. That's what the spirit's for. Would, would the shadow imagery also imply like a particular closeness that he has to God? Oh, yeah. I think that I think you can so. make that. I mean, you I'll, could definitely make that case. Like, I think in a literal sense, you have to be close to someone to be in their shadow. But like, is that is that really like, is that a way that they see it? I guess is what I'm asking. I would say yes. And add another uh, layer to that, that mountains, right? God calls himself a mountain mm. sometimes. And that's a big part of uh, Mesopotamia imagery for deities in the shadow of the mountain is where things grow, right? It's where mm. the rain comes mm. and things are able to flourish. Mm-hmm. And so to be in the shadow of God, the mountain is to be on the, what is that? The windward, the leeward 
the the, the spot where things can grow. I know mountain stuff, right? <laughs> that's great. That's Ooh. no, that's really cool. Terms for wind have always been confusing. <laughs> yeah, the side, the the west side. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, you two are incorrigible today. I'm on my best behavior, and everyone else is creating problems. So when this episode goes long, <laughs> I'm I am I wash my hands of this. Okay. No, um, I very love this. biblical. Uh, <laughs> yes. And the labor. Oh yes. Okay. I, continue. We repent. Uh, so yes, we have this we have this very interesting connection of uh in the shadow of God being the son of my light, which oh man, again, if you wanna research Tsum that's got some interesting uh connotations there, maybe. But we have this connection between imagery for Adam, for humanity, connected to the very beginning of creation or light. There is a mm-hmm. straight line between those things that, um, and, and even more than that, what did we say about light at the very beginning? It's the only time where God's pure expression creates something. Every other time there's like intermediary steps, like God said, let there be, and then God made. Day one, God says it, and it is. It's like there is no separation between the two. Light is a expression of who God is. And we are an expression of who God is. We are image bearers. And I think this is harmonizing those two things that just as all of creation, and specifically light, um, the beginning of creation came with this expression of who God is. It also ended with a very different kind of expression of who God is. Um, And then on top of that, um, Uri is the son of Hur, who, uh, I, I don't know if there's anything that you got here on Hur, uh, L, but he is, um, kind of one of the more major minor characters in the Exodus story. He's, uh, he's always hanging out with Aaron. Um, he and Aaron were the ones who held up Moshe's arms so that they could, uh, defeat Amalek. Nice. Mm-hmm. And, um, he is also just prior to this, as Moshe is going up on Mount Sinai for the first time or, uh, uh for the, this, this, chunk that we're talking about here he leaves behind aaron and hur and he tells the elders if there's any legal disputes if there's any like conflicts talk to aaron and hur um so he's a a pretty important person apparently uh what i do know about that is in the list of people who already live in the land of canaan there's like the chivi and there's also the hurim and so I'm curious about whether he has like some Canaanite ancestry and the outsiders have always been the insiders from day one. Yeah, that is very, very interesting. Hmm. hmm the but son, the grandson of an, of an an outsider. Maybe, maybe. Also has the the image of God, is, in, is still very close to God and has been blessed. Um Okay, moving on, because we couldn't talk about this stuff forever. Interesting stuff there. Go dig on your own time. All right, <laughs> there's six days for that. This day, we've got places to be. So um, I want to go back to that whole called by name thing, which um, it isn't technically in the creation story, but just after we have calling by name uh, come up several times because this is Adam's first kind of uh, work or ordering of creation that he engages in. 
And just like with many other um, patterns in the creation story, he names things three times. He names all the animals, uh, which you might say that's a bunch of times, but in the text just says one, he named all the animals and whatever he called it, that was its name. Um, the next time he names is when he is uh, introduced to Chava, but she hasn't called Chava yet. He calls her Isha. He calls her woman. And then at the end of the story, after, uh, you know, a little bit of a rocky patch, we might say, he uh, sees something new with uh, God's uh, nudging, and he names her as a person, uh, Chava, the mother of all the living. And uh, again, this kind of idea of um, God uh, instantiating or filling things in threes. We see Adam following in this, uh, in this pattern, but, uh, I think there's something interesting that we're going to have to hold on to about, uh, Adam naming Eve twice, once just in this kind of very generic way. And then once in a very personal way, mm. which might remind mm. us of our conversation last episode, but enough of that. Moving on. So another thing, Brent, that your translation kind of um, vifed was. <laughs> My translation as if I, <laughs> as if I'm on the team. Well, yeah. you've <laughs> nigh endorsed it as the official, unofficial <laughs> Bama translation, I believe, were your own words. Unofficial. So. Officially unofficial. Officially unofficial. All right. Well, officially, uh, I am I am calling foul on this translation of this verse because when it talks about all the things that God's spirit has imparted to Bezalel, he says, um, says, I have filled him with the spirit of God with wisdom. That one was translated well. Um, with uh, uh, understanding or insight, perhaps, uh, with knowledge, da'at, and with every malacha, with every kind of work. So here we are getting in some insight into what that word means. Um, and I literally had a question in my notes here, Elle. You, you jumped on it, but I was wondering if it had um, wordplay with Malach, the word for angel, mm-hmm. um, and I was also wondering if it had word play with the the word Malah to fill, um, mm-hmm. or maybe could be like a pun on that that is at the earlier when God filled uh, Betzalel with the Spirit. You so, are hell on speak on it. the right track. Uh, <laughs> ding 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 ding. Yes. Okay. So our word for angel or messenger, which you'll be happy to know, um, your translations choose between those willy-nilly however they so desire to do um but malach uh it comes from right that that shorter word that older word malah to be filled and so whether you're a messenger or an angel or both to do that work is to be filled up with the duties with the words with the responsibilities that another has given you so if you're a messenger way back when um you may or may not be literate but the king is going to tell you okay this is what you're going to go and tell the king of blah 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 and the city state you're going to tell him blah 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 and you have to memorize it and then you run and you go and sometimes we get confused because we don't know this cultural context but the 
the messenger speaks with the voice of the king. So he would retain all those pronouns. So sometimes we get confused when we're like, is it an angel or is it actually Adonai? Um, it's probably the angel speaking with the words of Adonai um, with the pronouns. Uh, so when we talk about, um, first off, when we talk about Genesis 2, and if you are team angel, know that the actual word angel is right there in um, verse 2. But um, in here in Exodus 31, I have filled him, filled, ding, 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 with the Ruach Haronai, with the Spirit of God um, and all these things. Uh, and so when we talk about what we're supposed to be doing on Shabbat, what we're supposed to rest from, I know there's, <laughs> uh, I lived in Jerusalem for quite some time. I had a lot of Jewish <laughs> friends. I was the uh, token goy who would, you know, turn on the lights <laughs> for people and use the phone and the GPS and everything. Um, but there's this really extensive conversation about what it means to uh, participate in malacha. Um, not that there isn't wonderful wisdom in those traditions, um, which are important to a lot of people, and I'm not trying to kick them all out the door. But I think um, with that link to the word mala, to the word for angel, I think if you're being sent as like a dignitary, right, if you are doing the work of somebody else to rest on Shabbat, potentially has to do with it's not that you can't make yourself some lemon bars or brownies or something. I don't know. That's what I like to do with Shabbat. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that I'm breaking Shabbat by making myself something um, delicious, I hope anyway. I know that's not everybody's tradition, but rather that I'm not doing that on behalf of somebody else. I'm not doing it because the church asks me, hey, can you you know, make refreshments for service tomorrow. And so I'm making lemon bars. That would be breaking Shabbat for me. But because the word here is malacha, doesn't have to do specifically with craftsmanship, but rather doing something because I've been filled up with responsibility to a patron, to somebody else who needs me for something. So that's how I would unpack that section. Yes. I, I love that. I love that. And um, to, to shed a little more light on it, the, the, traditional Jewish understanding here is that on Shabbat, you refrain from doing any of the things that were used to create the tabernacle, which um, I also hold to very similar view to L's, which is that uh, that doesn't mean we don't, you know, turn on the fires lights or yeah, exactly. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't turn on any lights when they were building the Mishkan. Well, that been... tell that to the people who spat on me. Uh, <laughs> yes. No, I, I, uh, I, I probably shouldn't even throw that shade. I, I want, uh, I want Rabbi Foreman to like me. So I am going to apologize <laughs> for that and just back it on up anyway. Yes. So that, and I, I love the way you talked about that L that, um, this connection with my love being filled by a third party that you're, doing something on the behalf of, uh, that that is kind of the essence of what makes something not, uh, permissible on Shabbat. Um, and, uh, I, what I would also like to do is to connect, uh, this with the, the type of work that it goes into creating the Mishkan, because that is, I think on a spiritual level, there is a lot that we can learn from that. Um, and I'll talk about it a little bit later, but just hold on to that idea. Um, uh, not necessarily in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense, um, the spirit of Shabbat is not uh, uh, not doing 
as Elle said, this thing that's not um, not done for its own sake. Um, but also it's not, uh, it's refraining from doing the things which create the Mishkan, the tabernacle, uh, on a spiritual level. So, uh, the last thing I want to talk about before we move into the second half of this chapter is the mystery thing that I talked about, which, um, okay. So verse 10, it talks about, uh, one of the things that is being created are the, uh, the, the garments for, uh, in my Hebrew or my Jewish translation here, it says for, for packing. Um, these are, uh, there's a lot of rabbinic debate about these. They're in the Hebrew, they're called big day, uh, hasrad. Um, and this has not been mentioned before. Um, sometimes this is taken as just a, a umbrella term for the priestly clothing that it mentions right after this. Um, and the, the main problem with that is that there is a conjunction, um, uh, it says after that, and. and the garments of sanctity for Aaron. Now, I mean, we could read that as, you know, that there's little, uh, little scribal things we can. He has could... ministry garments, which aren't holy is what that tells me, <laughs> which is very interesting. There, there's a lot of rabbinic opinion. Some of them follow like what our translations would say that these are, it's just an umbrella term, but they also, uh, uh, I think a lot of the opinions point to this describing the special, uh, uh, garments, uh, that they would use to clothe the sacred artifacts in the, in the Mishkan when they were moving them, because this, mm. they had to move it. You have to pick up everything and take it. And, you know, if, uh, if you can just, you know, see and touch everything in the Holy of Holies, then like, you know, it kind of, uh, kind of messes with the whole, the whole, uh, idea of right. it being in this hidden secret place, uh, it kind of desanctifies it. So they would wrap them in these, uh, like big, you know, like, like, you know, think of like furniture blankets, like that sort of thing, um, that they would put on it before they carried it around. And I, um, there's, uh, I was debating bringing this up, but I, I want to, for a couple of reasons. First of all, is this idea of, it's called clothing, clothing for the actual pieces of the tabernacle. And Ooh. what I think is interesting about that is just like uh, earlier when we were talking about Bezalel and this idea of calling by name um, and the way that that, you know, we see that with Adam and the humanity's task of naming things. We also have this thing that kind of connects uh, with clothing, with being covered um, and especially with uh, how often the Mishkan is compared to a human body. Uh, and that we, we see a lot of that, um, mm. in the last couple episodes, as we've talked about, I think it's interesting that clothing is kind of just thrown in here without being talked about before, but thrown in here at the end, especially since we're talking about Shabbat and this idea of completion, even though it's incomplete. And I think when we think of Genesis three, um, we can see a very, you know, a story that leaves us feeling that there is a lot that is messy and incomplete. And, uh, the other thing that I want to, to use this to kind of tie together is that when we're thinking about rest and, and refraining from, activities that build a spiritual mishkan, what we've been talking about throughout this series. Um, this 
is likening the Mishkan to a body um, that we're covering. And Mm -hmm. this is something that I'm going to be diving into once we get deeper and talk about the Sabbath half of this Mm -hmm. uh, chapter of Exodus, which if there are any naysayers out there who think like, oh, Josh, all these connections between Exodus and Genesis. They're probably not listening anymore, let's be honest. They're probably not listening. But if you're still here, (laughs) if you've been hanging on, if you've just been making notes about how I'm wrong every single time and I'm stretching it, this chapter, well, it's, it's about to talk about Shabbat directly. So, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. Listen, <laughs> listen to what the text has to say. Brent, tell him. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moshe, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. Mm -hmm. And I can kind of understand why they might not want to turn on a light switch. (laughs) (laughs) Getting cut off is a big deal. Uh, Also, I think you've got a lot of standing with our boy uh, Paulos and his epistles, right? He all the time. Well, not all the time. He famously, at least one time, <laughs> let's be more specific. He famously one time makes a big connection between our bodies and mm-hmm. the Mishka. Right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I feel very confident in making that connection. Great. Um, but yeah, so we have, I mean, there's a couple of things here. First of all, we have, again, kind of some, maybe some Genesis, uh, later Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 language making it in here with this idea of of death and uh, this, this death penalty associated with Shabbat. But what was really interesting to me is that it's, it's a little bit, well, like a lot of the text, especially in Torah, there's a lot of repetition here, but there's a lot of repetition here that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but let's start at the top. So very first verse, what does it say? It says Shabbat is a sign um, between us and God. First and mention it say is, throughout our- right. Excellent. Remembered. Yes, it doesn't say throughout our generations. It says throughout our eras. Uh, throughout oats- our eras. Oat sign first mention is Cain, by the way. So that puts Ooh. an interesting spin on that. No, no I, I don't think that's true. I think the first mention. <gasps> oh, no, no, no. You're right. Is, is in better sheet. You're right. Of course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yes. Okay. First, first mention that's weird. That makes me think of uh. totally bending the definition of first mention oh, here. Yes. First okay. weird mention. Yeah. First weird mention. <laughs> I'm just wrong. But what it makes me think of the oat that was given to Cain to keep him alive or the dog, mm-hmm. if you read the Midrash, um, which that's one of my favorites, but um, oh man, a sign that you keep the sign that keeps you from being uh, keeps you from danger out there in the wider wider wilderness. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, no, absolutely, and and also I think you know I, I've talked about this a lot, but 
you know, in the kind of fractal nature of this creation narrative and Mishkan interconnectedness, um, you can kind of use any day as a lens to view any of the others. And using day four as a way of looking at Shabbat as something that orients us in time specifically, since uh, when it talks about the stars as as guides, it primarily it, it speaks only in terms of time, um, days, months, years, uh, seasons, etc. Um, and to see Shabbat as something that is, uh, uh, primarily to help us, um, uh, or not primarily, I should say, but that it is, it is there to help us understand where we are, when we are rather, um, and to get some kind of clarity. I think that's a very interesting idea, but L, I love this connection you've made with Cain, especially because it does include that idea of, of, um, avoiding death. Very, very interesting how God starts piping in the messiness of uh, creation into the Mishkan. Well, what it makes me think of is maybe it's not like I don't have a huge problem with God killing people. (laughs) What a way to start a phrase. Oh, but the church I grew up in had a plaque on the wall that said the God of the Bible kills people. Um, So, you know, that's part of my my skeleton. Um, But that aside, right, uh, to me, that callback changes the way I see being cut off from because it's not necessarily like God's not the one walking around that Cain's afraid of is going to kill him. Um, God's yes. rather they're the protecting agent. And so that makes me think about Shabbat differently. Maybe it's not like a rule that God's putting down because it makes me look different than everybody else. But maybe mm-hmm. it's that if I don't observe Shabbat, I'm in danger of all sorts of things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I I love that. Um, And actually, I want to dive deeper into that. But first, I just want to note that the sign that it talks about here is uh, that uh, uh, God uh, is so that they know the at, they experience Mm -hmm. the reality of God making us holy. Right. which again, if we remember back to Shabbat, Shabbat is made holy because of rest. So if we rest, do we participate in that? Do we extend that to ourselves? Do we experience, do we experience what it was like for God to make something holy by simply resting? Or as, as we talked about earlier, enjoying something for its own sake. That's a very interesting definition of holiness and it comes from the first mention. So I think we, should really pay attention to that. Yeah. Um, So God is the God who sanctifies. That's what Shabbat is a sign of. It's what we get to participate in and therefore know. But then, yes, it transforms. And then uh, in the next verse, it says Shabbat will be holy to you for us, um, which makes sense with what we just read. God sanctified by resting. So if we rest on Shabbat, it becomes holy to us. And I think that is an a important beginning to this because God doesn't just say, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you. God says, it's holy to you because you've experienced it. And if you've experienced it, then if you work on it with that knowledge and that understanding, then you've, then, then there's a problem. Then there's a conflict. Then you can profane it. Right. Which 
that word is uh, comes from chul, which is to wound or pierce or bore a hole in. Yes, and this word is often like its first mention in this form is it's often used as the word for to begin or initiate something. So it's like that, like with a wound. It's like oh, right, right, you're right. kind of. Uh, just like it's the very first time something's happened. So it kind of, I don't know, pops the the bubble um, of it not having happened before. <laughs> sure. Um, Doing some embroidery, the first thing you do, shove a needle in there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So there's this idea behind uh, profaning of, yes, like wounding and, and also like, I, I think with that connection to beginning, it also has this sense of like wounding something that is all like unwounded. Like this is there, there's a kind right. of um, which I think is where the idea of uh, profaning comes from, because it's this thing that has this uh, like already has this kind of vestige of, of purity or wholeness that is now being marred by a wound, a scar on otherwise healthy body the word that we tend to translate keep or observe um oh gosh yes is just shamar which is a watchman word it's it's a guard you have to you have to guard shabbat so if you think about it that way that it's something vulnerable that's so easily wounded it's our job to guard it we you're you're jumping ahead again we're we're getting there but although actually no you're you're really not because it does it does already talk about um it from the very beginning. This this kind of portion is about the Shamar, about protecting Shabbat, about um, watching out for things that are not Shabbat and stopping them from coming into Shabbat. Right. Um, so I, I apologize. You really weren't jumping ahead there. That was my bad. Um, I just didn't uh, dive into it yet. Um, Very kind. <laughs> so, and, and I would say that the reason I've divided up the last half of this uh, chapter here is because this talks about the the shamar half of uh sabbath of needing to like protect it from other things that might come in and make it not sabbath um and that is again in harmony with this idea of it being a sign that protects us like cain um but i want to get into that last part the messy bit where it starts talking about death and killing and cutting off etc um which is like, let's just go through again the ordering here. Uh, you uh, you'll observe the Sabbath for holy or protect the Sabbath. Holy it is to you. Uh, it's desecrate desecrators will be put to death. So if you've experienced Shabbat and you know, like you know what it is, and you intentionally wound that, um, you say, hey, you know what? Actually, I've got a free day. I'm going to start a little side hustle. I'm, I don't know, making making lemon bars and selling them. Um, <laughs> hey. That is that is like, you know, that's not cool. You know what Shabbat is. You know what it means. You understand it's central to creation and you've you've pierced it so you can have money. Like, oh, no, that's not OK. That comes with a death penalty. Well, you know. Uh, the biblical God is, uh, kills people, I guess. But uh, <laughs> but welcome. although at, as L pointed out, this um, like with Cain, this isn't God saying I will kill. It says they they will certainly die. Which uh, I'm not actually. I didn't look. I should have checked. But this this reminds me very much of the language in Genesis three of when you the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And with that alone, we should maybe be a little. Uh, curious about what specifically this means um is it like in the garden where it simply means like you you will inevitably not uh, like die but there there is uh, a loss of of 
purity or something in in terms of a whole life? Well, the thing that stands out to me is there are words for kill and murder and slay and slaughter, and it's mm, none of those. Yes. It is the word die, and then it's in the grammatical form, hufal, uh, which is passive. <laughs> and so it's you. It's not I will kill you, despite the plaque um, on on the wall at my church. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's somebody's going to do it. It's going to happen to you. It might not be God himself. It it doesn't even necessarily have to be legal action. Although I'm pretty sure in the Torah, this form is used to talk about, uh, uh, capital punishment. But, uh, I, I appreciate the nuance you brought there because yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't demand that we do it. It simply says it as a fact that will happen. And I think that's a nuance we really ought to appreciate. Um, but this is what it says for those who desecrate, who wound, who stab Shabbat. Dirty dogs. Okay. Um, and then it says after that, for anyone who does malacha on it, anyone who does work on it, cut off will that soul be from the midst of its people. You will be cut off from your people. L, do you have anything to say about being cut off from the people? I have a sense of it in terms of like being excluded from community yeah yeah okay it's a big legal term in talmud like a a list of things that you can do to cause yourself to be carrot so how it's for do carrot don't want to be carrot um (laughs) so when i read it that's immediately what i think of it's on the like the big sin list um Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, exclusion from community is what um, is what comes to mind because, right? You can you can imagine how people get looped into whatever scheme this person is cooking up, right? It's hard to feel like you're allowed to Shabbat if somebody next to you is working, doing their emails. Yes. Um, yes. And so, yeah. Or if you come into work on Sunday and someone's like, "Oh yeah, I already did that because I was working yesterday," and I, you know, I'm this much farther ahead than you. It's uh... right. It's uh, it's poison, poisonous. Yes. Uh, yes. I presume you're going to talk about the last verb in verse 17, and so I shouldn't do it now. Uh, oh, yeah. We haven't even read verse 17 yet, have we? Yeah. Not yet. Yeah, we haven't got there yet. Okay, then I'll yet. be yeah, quiet. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there, though. Um, so, yeah. So, it, it sets up these two things. If you profane it, death. If you work on it, uh, cut off from your people. Then in the very next verse, um, it says it weirdly, it kind of recounts the creation story uh, a little bit like for, for six days, uh, you can do work. Uh, and on the seventh day, it is a Shabbat Shabbaton, a complete rest. Um, and again, it's bringing in the six days and the seventh day. It, it doesn't call it by the, the name Shabbat. It just calls it the seventh day. Uh, and then it reminds us that this is sacred to Adonai. Again, kind of jumping around from between verses, like whose holiness we're talking about here, who it's holy to. And then it says, anyone who does malacha on the day of Shabbat will certainly die. <laughs> like, wait, you just got done telling us that if you work on Sabbath, you're cut off and the person who profanes it dies. But then here we have that reversed like what is what is no with... loopholes i said no loopholes probably chiastic let's be honest probably chiastic um 
And you know what? I, I have, I think there's something deeper there. I think I worked out part of it, but for the sake of time, well, I'm going to leave it for the listeners. It's a so that gem buried, we can go ahead and read the last little bit of this chapter, starting in verse 16. Brent. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath or guard, guard the Sabbath, mm-hmm. celebrating it for the. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Doing something for the eras. <laughs> That's a great translation, actually. <laughs> Doing something for the eras to come as a lasting covenant. Uh, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Mm. When the Lord finished speaking to Moshe on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Mm-hmm. The tablets that are supposed to go into the ark that we just built, right? Mm-hmm. Which that that's like just normal temple stuff where you keep the the you know artifact that you know like in a covenant or whatever. Um, they weren't broken yet. They will be very shortly. Um, <laughs> Stand by for news. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, I I love Brent like. <laughs> retranslating the translation as he was going through that's that great. was wonderfully done brent i just gotta apply and, what uh, we learn you know that's right yes and and as l pointed out that what they translated as celebration there doesn't mean celebration however it is kind of a good translation um interpreted I mean, as it is i'm pro celebration it just definitely doesn't say that and it ruins the repetition of what is happening but whatever yes which is drumroll please this is the word rasa to to make that work that god said you know i i created to keep working with it to keep making it that's this word here and interestingly we have the exact same kind of repetition uh, in terms of, you know, before it was God barad to Asa, and here God is saying you guard Shabbat so that you can Asa it, so that you can do it. It's not just a negative thing of keep all the non-Shabbat stuff out, keep right. all that melechot out. It's saying there's also like that is all for the purpose of you doing something on Shabbat, which at first sounds very counterintuitive. What are we supposed to do on Shabbat? I thought that was kind of the opposite mm. of the idea. Um, and not only that, I talked earlier when we were going through Genesis 2 about how this is kind of like God continuing to to engage with creation in this cycle of rest and work, and that the purpose isn't to complete creation or make it perfect, but to just continually make it and work it and squish it around and engage with it, uh, presumably forever. And here, what do we have after we're told to observe, to guard the Sabbath so we can do Sabbath, whatever that means, we can get into that, but it's, that exists as a Brit Molam. We do it through the eras as an eternal covenant, which I think it's very interesting. They bring up covenant here because the word that was used previously, karet, uh, Mm -hmm. to cut off, is also how you create a covenant. You cut a covenant, as has been mentioned on this podcast. And Elle, do you have something to add in here? Uh, I know everyone's at home praising God. No, 
she doesn't have something <laughs> to say. <laughs> We're still crazy. Here we have, I think, um, the, like, you know, we, we've talked about how this Mishkan is, as a whole, kind of an inverse of the creation story. God made space for us. We're now making space for God. We're taking on the God role toward God um, to make a home uh, for her. And so this is a really interesting moment where we are making a space for God to shachen, to dwell. And what I think is, is interesting is this idea of like, we are, our Sabbath is really like a microcosm of the, the Mishkan. We are mm. continually trying to make this Shabbat space. We are continually trying to discover what Shabbat really is. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I can speak for my own life. The practice of Shabbat varies greatly um, through different seasons of life. Um, you know, in, in very difficult seasons of life, Shabbat looks entirely different um, than what it looks like when there is uh, excess, when there is surplus, when we're doing okay and there's not mm -hmm. anything eating into our week and, you know, undermining our uh, mental uh, uh, stability or, or anything like that. Like what, when we are in uh, different seasons, Shabbat looks different. Yep. And we can look at that as, um, but I, I, you know, actually, before I say anything, I want to get your read, L, on the use of the word uh, nefesh, which is translated, yeah. and God was refreshed. Keen-eared listeners may may remember this word nefesh. It's the word for life. Soul. As, for soul. Sorry. For <laughs> kind of, yes. No, it, it is, it's a weird word because it mixes the idea of life and the a soul. The only reason people try to make it be life instead of soul is because some of the animals are referred to um, having nefesh. In my professional opinion, the word for life is chaya. Uh, always. Tamit, tamit, tamit. Always, always, always. It's, there's no... <laughs> question about that and the word for nefesh is the thing that animates us it is our soul it's different than a spirit right ruach versus nefesh yes interesting yes. i know people like to you know sketch out their categories very greco-roman of us to do so but <laughs> if you like to do that um there you go they're they're different but nefesh <laughs> is also connected to breath like ruach is so good have fun trying to parse that uh, all the things, but yes, this the is things. the word for sold, uh, not S-O-L-D, but S-O-U-L-E-D, because this is a <laughs> verb form. Um, and earlier, we talked about your soul will be cut off, which is different than your life being cut off, although... Um, yes. We don't have that much wiggle room because then it says dying, you will die. <laughs> yes. But there is a little bit of wiggle room to talk about spiritual death there because mm -hmm. this says when you do this, when you assess Shabbat, um, then you will be soul <laughs> with the hyphen in there, uh, <laughs> implying that when we don't, uh, we become soulless, right? We something in our spirit dies. It's part of who we are. It's not just another rule for us to follow. It's not just something that makes us look different. That we don't, you know, we don't buy restaurant food on Sunday or whatever. <laughs> however, we were raised. Um, but. 
It's about the character of God and his design for us. We are um, like God, infinitely creative beings. um, And that's something that gives us joy and purpose um, because God is infinitely creative. But also, Mm -hmm. it's not just like you've been bringing out that um, all that is bad and productivity is bad. Um, It's not (laughs) that kind of dualism. But part of that part of, as you were saying way back at the beginning of the episode, part of the doing of creativity is stopping to delight in, in stuff, not just ceasing yes. from it, right? The word Shabbat comes from sitting, comes from settling down. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's not just stop, it's not cease. There's a different word for that, which has a delightful root, um, which is not <laughs> not PG, but um, the <laughs> it, it's about stopping and delighting and honoring what has been made and enjoying it. And sometimes I think we cut that out of the character of God. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, that wreaks havoc on our own well-being because we think we're not allowed to enjoy anything because God doesn't enjoy anything. He's just doing, doing, doing all the time and his omnipotence and omniscience and everything. And no, um, delight is central to who God is. And uh, we should walk through the world armed with that. I think there is, isn't there a madrash about like on one you carry two things in your pockets and one pocket, it's like I'm dust and to dust I'll return and the other pocket is a piece of paper that says the whole world was made for me or something like that. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So not t- necessarily talking about ego, but talking about <laughs> everything is here and I get to delight in it. And that's, you know, at least one seventh of what I'm doing. Also, you're going to be <laughs> yeah. a lot more successful making stuff if you're enjoying it than if you're like having a tortured artist moment. So anyway, all of that contributes us to having a soul, apparently, yes. according to verse 17, being a soul hyphened um, rather than soulless. <laughs> And to jump on that, um, I, I I appreciate you making the distinction between this and life. And I'll, I'll correct myself. As you said, Nefesh is associated with like this kind of animating soul. Uh, in Torah, it tells us explicitly that uh, the, our Nefesh is in the blood. So it's a very like um, substantial soul. It, it, and what I love about this, and the reason I bring it up is not to push back against what you said l but to clarify that like this is the idea of a soul that challenges us where we live in our western mindset where we think of soul as a floaty spirit thing right. that like lives in our brain right um and it's no it's it's something that is fills our whole body it is indistinguishable from our body in a certain sense it is that which animates our life and it's tied to our emotions and our inner being in so many ways. And I think this is important because this is the idea of a, of a soul as like something bound up in our actual life, mm-hmm. um, our physical being, which again, to harken back to the connections between the Mishkan and the body, I think this uh, should resonate. This isn't just a side point that should resonate deeply with us that taking care of our soul and our body are not necessarily different things at all. That. Ding. The idea of rest as rejuvenating us physically and emotionally and spiritually are kind of all the same thing. I love that. And on top of that, 
Um, yeah, like we were saying earlier, I, I think there's probably a chiasm here. I think I found it before and I've just forgotten it because between the repetition of going through the, uh, the six days for work and on the seventh day he rested, which he mentioned earlier, the connection between the, the cutting and the covenant and all of this repetition, I I'm betting there's some sort of interesting structure there, even if it's not just a straight chiasm. Leave the crumbs of bread for the Syrophoenician children. It's fine. Exactly. Exactly. All you Syrophoenician <laughs> children out here, this one's for you. Um, <laughs> just what do you say before you burst into your set at a stadium? <laughs> this one goes out to the Syrophoenician kids out there. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Now that they've had a snack, here is the main course. Okay. So um what i want to land this on and it it may seem weird to you all out there because we haven't talked about it explicitly but i think in this conversation about rest and holiness what we really need to talk about is faith um and what uh what i first want to start with is um i haven't ever done this on one of my episodes this is a quote that is not from torah or tanakh oh my goodness. uh it is from or the ramban uh, No, close. Uh, It is from our boy, Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he said something very interesting, which is this. This is one of his more famous quotes. Faith is not the clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. And to me, that captures quite nicely the, the quality uh, the spiritual quality behind this idea of constant creation, not as burden, not as some Sisyphean attempt to get the boulder up the hill and just failing all the time, but as something that we don't want to end, um, something that we keep doing because we love it, because we delight in it. This, again, to to remember where we came from in this story in Genesis 2, this is the very uh, uh, center, the very um, birthing point of holiness is in not just uh, in, in one hand, like simple presence, not having to do, not having to um, rush around, but at the same time, also engaging the doing part, not just maintaining our presence and not being t- pulled away into the things we have to do in the world, but also actively engaging in ways that we genuinely enjoy that bring us delight here. Mm-hmm. All right. So at this point, I want to backtrack again to, to another one of those uh, dangling questions I left, one of the cliffhangers from earlier when I talked about uh, both the, the double naming of Eve and this idea of uh, uh, the the hidden blessing, and most importantly of all, why Sabbath doesn't have a partner. Who is Sabbath's partner? Now, um, the traditional Jewish answer is that the partner of Shabbat is the Jewish people, um, which I don't think is a bad answer, but uh, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction which is going to require us to remember our conversation last week about the difference between Tselem and Demut, 
the idea of having God's image being God shaped in a vague, basic sort of way to actually bearing God's demut, God's likeness. And I think we can see this uh, in the in the naming of uh, Chava twice. The first just being like, ah, she's a she's a lady. That's what she is. But her as an individual is not just Isha. Her as an individual, she is Chava. There is something more true to her than just being a woman. I think that is something that should probably be abundantly clear to anyone. Uh, so I think, that, again, when we, when we talk about day seven and God not calling it good and what did God not see, I wonder if what God wanted to see was us resting. We heard a couple episodes ago that God said that the, the whole point of the whole Mishkan is to remind them that God took them out of Egypt just to dwell with them. That was the point, not just getting them out of Egypt, not just bringing them to Sinai and giving them Torah. All that was in service of God dwelling with them, which is the same word as Mishkan, the place of dwelling. Um, that's, and that's what he says in the Exodus part. He came all this way to Shechen with them. And also, as you pointed out, L, like the, the word Shabbat also has this idea of like sitting and resting and being in place. Um, so there is, there is a lot that tells us that what God's actual like heart is, is to, uh, come to this place of resting of mutual enjoyment and so to me, that makes that makes the partner to Shabbat, the the demut, the likeness of God. And we can create that when we when we engage in Shabbat, when we build a Mishkan, when we try and create sacred space for ourselves and others, that is part of how we build that likeness to God, how we um build up that capacity to look like God as in God's personhood and God's actual specific qualities and God's desires. God desires to just be with us. And we make that happen when we simply rest and engage in Shabbat. Uh, in creation, it says that he says, be light, be comma, so-and-so, um, and so that's God's primary commandment to us is not to fill in the blank with whatever you feel like God wants you to do, but rather being, and we're called back to that each Shabbat. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's a big part of why, uh, Jewish people usher in Shabbat by lighting candles, by creating light. And, um, and like we talked about earlier, the connection between Betzalel and his father Uri, we don't get to this close presence of God if we don't start with light. And this is, again, where every part of this Mishkan, it, this isn't some like linear thing that builds up to Shabbat and Shabbat is the only important thing. All of these things are interconnected and interdependent. It is, it is, it is impossible to really do Shabbat um, in its fullness and to learn what the demut of God is without community or without some light in your life or without people to guide you or without knowing the story. Like all these things, if, if you aren't around actual raw community and you're just in a little bubble, how, how are you going to actually know the face of God if, if everything you see just looks like uh, a, certain, uh, a certain human idea? 
So all these things work together. There is no uh, one thing that rules over them all. But Shabbat contains within it the simplicity of, like, the, the idea of, you know, what we might consider God uh, trying to draw us toward, even though there isn't an, uh, this, like, creation intended for perfection idea like we talked before but this constant work we see that paralleled in shabbat of something that we are continuing to try and make through rest through not doing malacha um and we get to do that eternally it's an eternal covenant and um so to me this whole process is like it makes sense to me at least, but there's a really important ingredient that is required. Uh, and that is faith because, uh, this, this doesn't work unless you really just believe in it, believe in it, even though you can't see it, believe in that unspoken blessing, believe that it's actually there because when you are, in the midst of an imperfect world that is imperfect in ways that uh, can be really dangerous and can feel overwhelming. To rest in the midst of that is a, is a good deal harder than just, you know, resting in a vacuum. And in a world where it feels like God is often very far away, how can you believe that, that you know, God's actual face, God's personality, God's likeness is accessible to us? And I think that when we, when we deconstruct, there is a big danger. Um, I know this was certainly true for me. It was a very fine line to walk of allowing yourself the space to take these things apart, to pierce the veil and kind of tinker, um, to, to remove what doesn't work, to replace it with something else perhaps. Um, and there's, there's a real uh, uh, pull there for us to like lose that sense of, of like simple faith of simply just um, uh, like not faith in the sense of uh, like actually believing or genuinely engaging in your spirituality, but faith in the sense of, as uh, Rabbi Heschel said, that endless pilgrimage of seeing this not as a problem, not just as an issue of justice that we are writing and getting it to the perfect, correct state, but as something we can enjoy. Like so often deconstruction and reconstruction are really fraught times because it feels like so much is at stake and so much of what you believed was a lie and this and that, and it can be really overwhelming and it can make our spiritual life, um, kind of, uh, uh, in some ways joyless. Mm -hmm. And it can also, if that's the, if we, if we just have that in the back of our heads and aren't able to, to soothe that and to be able to turn that over and say, Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a day where everything is complete because I'm resting in it, resting in this incomplete mm -hmm. half built, half torn down, uh, uh, faith, spirituality that is, what Shabbat is like we, none of us have all the answers certainly, but when you're in the middle of removing some really uh, poisonous, toxic answers and trying like desperately yearning for some good, healthy living answers, some, something that will give you that soul will, will make you soul full. 
it is really easy to think, well, that will come after I've got some stuff figured out. Right. And that is where what Shabbat confronts us with is this point of faith of, can you just trust that it's okay where it's at, that there is still some part of that good creation mm-hmm. as, as deeply buried as it may feel that you can actually enjoy it. You can go out and sit under the shade of a tree. Mm-hmm. You can eat the fruit of the earth. You can go pet the, the animals. You can go listen to the birds sing and feel the wind in your hair. You can go to the beach. All these things are still there. And you are part of that. And this whole process we've been talking about of, of the spiritual mishkan of, you know, all the way back in episode one, talking about like carrying the actual tangible things that remind you of the story or day two thinking about like where you see uh, walls that can become doors that you can pass through and enact love all these things you know the fruitfulness of community the the making sure you're moving the mishkan like we talked about in episode five to places where there is just raw community people who are just living their normal life, um, living in the chaos. All these things are important for, for us doing that reconstruction work, finding where God's speaking to us in our actual circumstances as we've met God on the path. But um, Shabbat invites us to step back and to see all those processes, like in the Mishkan, as a body. Your body works without you thinking about it. You don't even have to think about breathing, even though you can. You certainly don't think about your heart beating or your your uh, your other organs doing their uh, endlessly complicated jobs. They they work without your knowledge. They they work even if you're sick. Like you know, I I had I had cancer in my liver, and my liver still like worked most of the time. That's a really serious problem, but it still kind of did its job. Like. Even if you've got some some cancer in your spiritual body, in your in your spiritual walk, you can still take a day and not just, you know, blast yourself with a chemo and go in and surgically muck about in your organs. You can take a day and just let the Mishkan uh, be a body that functions. And to treat those those spiritual things that you're building, um, not just as, you know, our Western conception of ideas and theology that we believe, but as like kind of experiential and functional spiritual organs. And even though a lot of what we've been talking about is how to build those and how to refine those and help those things give you more life, or perhaps we should say more nefesh, more soul, um, you don't actually get to experience that if you're still messing with everything. You have to just let the body do its thing. Let it work, let it live, let it be full of that animating soul that is our flesh and blood. And that's why I think this, this part, this whole system only works if you can have faith in that ability to, for your, just like we have to have faith that our body will work. Um, we can't constantly be, you know, asking our body to check in with us about every single decision it's making and every single, you know, enzyme and chemical reaction. We have to kind of let it do its own thing and trust that it'll keep us alive. And I feel like that's what Shabbat is on a spiritual level that, uh, we trust that we, we are not just image bearers, but that we are starting to look like God. And 
we can just practice that. Even if we, you know, trip and fall like a little baby, we can still practice walking. That's the only way you get to walking. Uh, I, <clears throat> my brain started blasting, if you believe, from Prince of Egypt, as all brains <laughs> should probably be. <laughs> Prince uh, of Egypt is great. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, we're doing Exodus right now, so it's it's on theme. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mm -hmm. if you... Uh, it's a choice about the posture that we um, walk through our deconstruction or trust with our, our body or with God um, to say, am I going to choose to believe that God is still okay with me during this process? Do I choose to believe I'm still okay with me during this process? And that's made so much harder when there's communities or authority figures out there who say it's not okay. Um, mm -hmm. right. It's really hard to believe otherwise when people we've trusted for a long time tell us that we're not okay, but, um, choosing to say, you know what, <laughs> there's a lot of things, the song doubting doubts talks about this. There's a lot of things that, um, I'm not sure about, but I am sure that I'm loved by God, right? Mm -hmm. This is something that I choose to hold even while I play with all these other play might be a little bit, um, light, <laughs> light <laughs> word. But even as I wrestle with all these other things, I choose to hold on to this one. Um, mm -hmm. It can be a really helpful tool um, to get through. And, and, but to what you were saying, Al, I, I love, I love that idea of, of play as well. Like we can, mm. we can allow ourselves, not, not that that is something prescriptive that you should look at this in that lens, but that you're, you're free to, we're, we're, told by Jesus that it's, it's okay to have the faith of a child and mm. to, to see it as something that we're playing with and bo both in our rest, but also in our work. Like if we remember back to the beginning of this chapter in Exodus, Betzalel, he didn't, he, he had these skills to be able to build the dang thing because God filled him with it. And, um, we have to have faith in that part of the process too. Faith to just start building, even though we don't know what we're building and we don't know if we can. A tower of and Babel. Tower of Babel. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Tower of Babel. We don't have to make a name for ourselves. We've been called by name. <laughs> I know. I'm just being the devil's advocate here while you're trying to close up your series. Just here. I know. I'm the thorn in That's your okay. side that Paul prayed to have removed. <laughs> no, they're never gonna that. let us re uh, record together again, Josh. This is it. <laughs> no, no, you're you're probably my favorite person to record oh, with. No. As, as it happens. Well, um, goodbye forever. Yeah, like, it's gone too I like long. Trouble. <laughs> Good trouble. Uh, but yes, to, to return to Shabbat as Shabbat. Like, not only can we bring that kind of faith into our our work but with shabbat we really get to exercise that to to trust in that even though we can't necessarily see it uh that that we look a little bit more like god from what we've experienced in the week and that we can sit in that and and in doing so not just fill our soul um but to also uh uh see a little bit more of who God is by, by making that time holy. It's as simple as that, just being present and enjoying. And if you can have faith in that, then um, this whole spiritual process can be one entirely consumed by joy, or at least more consumed by it than it is right now. <laughs> that uh, midrashic story, what, what new commandment might I do? And Yosef says, 
he puts his hand up in the air and his uh, fingers catch on fire. And he says, why not be totally transformed into fire? <laughs> I love that. I love it. Yes. And as we know, fire is God's presence. There we go. And uh, there you go. Be be consumed by it. Have faith. You'll be okay. Amen. So <sighs> I think there will be a special set of listeners who have been binging episodes. And this is the first episode that they listen to where they don't have another episode to listen to after this. It's going to be a very short window of time. It's probably not going to be that many people. But what an amazing moment to get to this episode and not have anything else to do and to just sit and wait. Heck yeah. So if that's you, I would love to hear from you, actually. That sounds amazing. (laughs) So if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at baymacohost at gmail.com. And Josh is at midroshjosh at gmail.com. And then we have lgroverfricks at gmail.com. Josh, do you have any other... um, any extra resources you want to drop on people or anything else you want to point people to, or, or should we just leave it at, at this moment of rest? <sighs> I feel like, um, a lot of what L said, put it really well, um, about allowing ourselves to not be full, but to be empty. And, um, and definitely check out, a uh, Heschel's book on Shabbat. That's a, that's a good one. Is that where the quote comes from? I'm not sure. I, uh, it might be, um, <laughs> I, his his books all run together for me. He, he ends up talking about so many of the same themes. Um, so yeah, sorry. Can't not that we there. ever do that. We're <laughs> yeah, very concise we and precise in our teaching. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why I love him. <laughs> all right. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good series. All right, that does it. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the Bama Podcast this week. Uh, next week we actually have an interview. Um, with a guy who wrote a book about the Lord's Prayer. And I am absolutely stoked. I love that book. Um, so mm-hmm. something to look forward to. And then uh, on from there. So, yes, thanks for joining us on the Baymo Podcast. We will talk to you again soon. serious josh they're gonna break us up forever (laughs) we had a shot they said maybe they'll have learned their lesson we had another shot and we didn't learn our lessons well here's the thing though i mean basically the same thing happened with reed uh except like we didn't even like well i guess we had to learn our lesson because he had a hard end time two hours and 10 minutes with reed's reed and josh and then the next week was like an hour 50, which was 10 minutes longer than Reed was even hard cut off <laughs> yeah, allowed to go. So I think that's right. the takeaway, at least for me, is to cover less ground because we can know that we're going to double our time just by for good stuff. Like, I don't want to have less yes. fun. I don't want to invite less insights from you guys who are bringing so much to the material right um and so i don't want to start saying like nobody can say anything (laughs) (laughs) right that would be like the script right but but i think going for the future 
for me, if I think, oh, I can fit in talking about these people. No, I cannot. (laughs) (laughs) Make it, if you're that passionate about it, make it a different episode. Yeah, I totally feel that. I I mean, we've said it a million times, but this, I originally joked that this probably should have been 14 episodes instead of seven. And I think it absolutely should have been 14 episodes. It actually probably could have been 21 episodes. Wow. (laughs) That would have been, okay, this is getting into one of my pitches for the, uh, for the retreat, but that would have been... (laughs) 